Well, if you go ahead and find your way to Matthew chapter 26, and as you're turning to Matthew chapter 26, we want to welcome those that are still streaming with us, and uh, we hope to get them back soon, but we want to welcome them as we look down the barrel of that camera, and as you find Matthew 26, just let me kind of get some, some prep work out of the way for us today. Starting next week, we resume our invitations at the end of our service. I'm told by our local health officials and others that uh, that's a, probably a fairly safe thing to do. So you'll be getting reacclimated to that. At the end of each service, we want to give people an opportunity to come forward publicly and pray together. And if you have a spiritual commitment or decision you'd like to make, we'll have pastors and other encouragers here at that time. And today we're going to be resume the Lord's Supper, at least for our floor section, uh, in a... Uh, pass the plate kind of mode. Our deacons will be serving that for us. And so uh, hopefully that doesn't make anyone feel uncomfortable. And uh, those upstairs will be uh, using the little cups uh, that we've been used previously this week. And then next time we'll see if we can fully reopen. But I certainly appreciate our deacons. And uh, I'm excited about August. I'm excited about reopening Awana and all of our programs and trying to get things restarted. And so you be praying for that effort. I want us to read uh, about 12, 13 verses together today. Uh, most of you are aware that the Lord's Supper really is outlined for us in five locations in our Bibles. Again, that's five locations. Each one of the Gospels has a section. Uh, John is a little more scattered than the others, but there's no doubt he has his own reflections on the Lord's Supper. In fact, when John writes, we'll talk about it in a moment, many things come into the picture. Uh, but Matthew, Mark are almost side by side in terms of their account of the Lord's Supper. Luke, in typical Lukean fashion, in a uh, in, in specific physician note type of form. Luke has a little bit more to say than they do. And man, oh, John just all over the place. But from that, and then there in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, uh, in fact, we're going through 1 Corinthians on Wednesday mornings with our more at midweek group. But in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul addresses some inadequacies. That's a nice way of putting it. Uh, in terms of the Corinthian church and how they were handling the observance of the Lord's Supper. And as you know, as your pastor, I, I've set out on a mission here, uh, uh, a mission that has impacted my ministry, not in a, and please don't take it in a bad way, but you know, growing up here all my life, I, I've been a part of hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of Lord's Supper. Lord's Suppers that See, Mr. Jackson still said over here, I was sitting in a pew younger than he was before I was even baptized scripturally. Could not take part of the Lord's Supper. But it, it was that regiment, that regiment, regiment, regiment that just drove me in my ministry to say, hey, we're going to do the Lord's Supper in different ways. Not changing the elements, not changing the message. But whether we would admit to it or not, and most East Texans won't admit to nothing. But let me just suggest to you, we get in a rut. And we know a rut is an endless grave with two open ends on it. And so uh, we do our Lord's Supper in a different way here uh, each time. There's something different we try to bring to the table, different aspect of the accounts. The elements don't change, but we learn more about the intimate message of 
the very element of what we call the communion or the Lord's Supper. But let's read these verses together. I'm going to begin in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter number, what did I say? Chapter, 20, uh, chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Would you scroll down to verse 17 and hang with me because we're going to read, and I'll read as quickly as I can, not as fast as I can, but legibly, audibly, in a way that we hopefully can connect. Matthew 27, I'm going to uh, begin reading from God's word in verse 17, if you'd like to follow along. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, well, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, we're familiar with the Passover. That, That was the Jewish anchor in the year, wasn't it? It was the celebration. It would be like our Independence Day, if you will. It was our July 4th. It, it, was, it was that moment in history when the Hebrew children were released after a little over 400 years of bondage under Egyptian authority. So it was, it was a big deal. And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and he prepared the Passover. And when the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. And it's just so hard for me not to divert here. Luke makes a big deal of this. In fact, Luke in his account says, the reclining came first. There was some hangout time. We know that in the upper room. There was some reclining going on. There was, there was some fellowship going on. Verse 21, and while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. You know, three of the four accounts have this element very early in the evening. It wasn't like at the end, after they had taken the bread and the cup, Early on, evidently, Jesus addressed this whole betrayal issue. Two of the four said it was the very first thing. Luke says there was some reclining first and then the cup and bread. No, no, and then the betrayal. All the betrayal was underway, but it was the exposing of the betrayal. Let's keep reading. They were very sad, verse 22, and they began to say to him one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Well, there it is. They must have had some East Texas roots in them. Uh, Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. And the son of man, Jesus' favorite term for himself, will go just as it was written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him to have not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And Jesus answered, you have said so. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take it, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he, he, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many the, uh, for many, for, for, for the very forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I, I, I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, just one of those five accounts that we're able to draw from and better understand about the Lord's Supper. 
I just put in my notes today, Matthew says, if you just want to do a chronos or just a takeaway, Matthew says there was the betrayal that was exposed, there were the elements that were given, that's what we just read, and there was a song that sung. When you get over to Mark, Mark says, he, 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 he adds something to think. He says there's the, there was the betrayal, the elements, the song, and he says, and then there's an issue with Peter. And then when you get over to Luke, Luke says, we reclined. <laughs> Evidently, some time went by, probably meal time, fellowship time, then the elements, then the betrayal, and then Luke adds to us, a dispute breaks out. A dispute about who was the greatest. Amazing. And then John introduces a whole different element. He says there was some foot washing at the beginning of this whole episode in the upper room. In fact, there was some pushback, especially from Peter. No, 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 no. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. None of the other three mention that. But John says there was some foot washing that took place before anything else did. Then there was the betrayal. And we know John even wades into the waters, unlike the other three, that say, hey, Jesus had to do some heavy consoling. In fact, in our Bible, John 14, is what we're so familiar with in terms of funeralology. I go to prepare a place for you. A mansion. Jesus was having to do some things there to try to encourage people on that evening. And so just quickly, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, I jotted down three things that God has spoken to me about. All I'm going to do is just share my heart with you today. As I've tried to prepare my own heart for this time of communion. I jotted down these three simple elements. Anytime we come to a time of communion, as Matthew accounts for us, I think it's significant that we understand that, first of all, Jesus in this moment was ending something. You might want to jot that down somewhere. The co communion is representative in our lives. It's a representation of something ending. You say, well, what, wait now, what, what do you mean something ending? Well, when Jesus took this cup, when he took the bread... You have to understand this was a monumental moment, <laughs> not something just in passing that was done. This was the beginning of the super change. This was, we know the cross and the tomb, the resurrection and his death. We know those were the actual events that changed it, but we know this took place just a few hours preceding that. And in doing so, you've got to understand, Jesus was ending something very significant. Now, I know we've already had one misfire on, 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 on a picture. I'm hoping we won't have another misfire today. But I found one camera that's close to what I want to tell you about. Let's see if they can project it. Let's see if they, we can project it successfully. And the moment, the drum roll, wow, there it is. Now, the pastor's not into horse racing, Okay. Uh, but two weeks ago, Olympic trials, I love to watch some track and field. I was a head track coach for eight years. And so track and field is something I'm really interested in. And I noticed over the last several years, they have these, and this is a real track camera, like a horse racing track camera. But if you notice when we get to Tokyo, 
If you look carefully at the infield of the track and field in, in the arena there, they'll have these cameras on a track. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in the middle of a marathon and that camera was track, I would get frustrated about that mechanical camera, but I guess they don't even notice those kind of things. But that camera slides on a bar and it stays right there with them. So you are paying. In other words, NBC says, we want to put you as much as possible right in the action. And so I want to try to put you right in the action. When Jesus entered into that covenant upstairs with those men, you do understand, don't you, that he was essentially ending something very significant. When you go back and look at the three components in history, in religious life, if you take the persons, all those incredible martyrs, all those men and women that had lived up in what we call Old Testament lore, Old Testament history, you, you start with Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham, Jacob and Joseph and as that track pans and you keep moving, there's old Moses and Joshua and that track's panning and Gideon and Samson and Ruth and, and, and David and Nehemiah. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, essentially, we weren't saying goodbye out of history to them, but it was part of what Jesus was saying is, hey, something is ending here. That Old Testament covenant is ending. We could take the word of God that we hold in our hands today. And it was like the camera pans on that track. There it is. The law was given to us and history and wisdom and then what? Minor prophets and then our major prophets and the minor prophets, those five segments of creating our Bible and then the, New, the Old Testament and then and, and this is the beginning of what? A whole new, hey, we're saying goodbye to the old. But also that camera's panned down through history of God's children. And my, oh my, as that camera scrolls down, all kinds of things have happened to them, haven't they? I mean, I mean there's been the creation and there's been patriarchs and the exodus and, and, and there's been conquest and judges and there's been kingdom and exile and return. And then there's several hundred years of what we call what? The black period, the period of silence, what we would know in, 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 in theology circles as, as what? It was, it, it was that intertestamental period and so Jesus was ending something there's about to be a new covenant no more animals no more little animals that at no fault of their own had to pay a price for someone else's sin that's what Jesus' ministry was all about. There, there was so much headbutting about that. The ritual of that, that old covenant. Jesus says, don't you see, I'm God in the flesh. Oh, you profess to be God? Yes, I am God in the flesh. I've come here for a purpose to redeem you. Can you not see that? And so many of them felt threatened. And they could never see it. So Jesus on that evening, just a few hours before his death, was ending something. 
But I suggest to you there's something else happening here. There, there, there's, he's also beginning something, isn't he? He is beginning something very new. And, and what he's beginning is what we know as the new covenant. Jesus is introducing something. When you and I take that cup and we take that little morsel of bread in just a moment, we get to, in a symbolic way, join in. My daughter called me a few weeks ago and she was just so distraught. She said, Dad, two of my best friends are dating gentlemen that are Catholic. I said, well, Amber, why is that such a burden for you? And she says, well, Dad, I need to give them some advice. And I said, well, Amber, there's a lot of wonderful Catholics. And I said, now Catholicism has evangelical, are they evangelical Catholics? Well, I've never heard of such, she said. And I said, well, maybe we don't need to put our nose in other people's business. And she said, look, I called you, Dad, for some advice. So that led into an hour conversation. And I said, Amber, the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked, yes, but it's really not our place to tell them what to do. And, 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 and she says, yes, but maybe we can make them Baptist. And I said, Amber, you don't even go to a Baptist church. And she said, well, I'm in a Bible church. And I said, well, okay, you know. And, and, and anyway, it was so that in, in, in the middle of that, here, it all came flooding back to me. Amber says, well, Dad, both of my friends, what they're doing is they're going to a mass on Saturday with their boyfriend, and then the boyfriend's going with them on Sunday to their church. Now I says, well, that will work fine for a while. And she says, oh, Dad, it's already come, it's already dismantled. She said, one of my friends came to me the other day in hysteria and said, hey, when we were taking these elements, Eucharist, at the Catholic Church, they said it becomes the literal blood of the Lord Jesus. And I said, well, Amber, I've been lobbying for years that I would pay for a medical test after that has been taken if somebody would just allow me to get into their stomach. I'll pay for the operation. I think we'll pull it out and see it is dissolving wine or grape juice, whatever element they've used. It won't have any DNA markings of a human being. But no one will step forward and allow us to do that. But we know that's not the case. What we're going to be taking today are what? Elements. Symbols. It allows us to pull our feet up to the table and that's very important because, again, God is doing something. He's saying, away with this, ending something, but he's beginning something new, a new covenant. And once again, God is going to be taking an innocent sacrifice and substitute for sin. But that sacrifice and that innocent substitute will not be an animal this time but it will be the death of God himself in, out of the flesh, the incarnate God, his own son. Incredible moment. Do you think the disciples got it? I don't. Did they get it partially? Probably. 
But just the element, the big driving element for them was that Jesus was going away. That's why I think John makes such a big deal of saying, hey, Jesus had to sit down and do it. Give us a good talking that evening. Now, guys, I'm going away. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you're going to be. You're going to be with me. And by, by the way, when you cross over from this life and through, through a physical death, I'm going to be there. I'm not going to send a band of angels. It's not going to be a gold chariot that pulls up. It's going to be me that comes to you. Me personally. And so it was with that new covenant that Jesus was preparing them for something. And then I just wrote down a third thing. Anytime I read these accounts fresh and new, I recognize that Jesus is investing something. He is ending something out of that old. He's beginning something in this new covenant, but he's investing something. I find it interesting that all four accounts in the Gospels are filled with different trappings of one name, Peter. Peter, you're not going to wash my feet. Peter, I'm not going to deny you. Oh, yeah, you're going to deny me not once, Peter, not twice, but three times. No! And it's amazing how our God in that moment is investing. Even in just a few hours from his physical death, he's investing. You look at how he invests, not just in Peter, but in the group at large. Now, guys, why are we debating who is the greatest? In fact, one of the gospel writers tries to capture Jesus' explanation of that and why that was wrong as Jesus lays out, hey, you're much like the pagan culture when you do that. You're better than that. He's investing. He's investing in foot washing. I wrote down John 13, 22. Those first few words in John 13, 22 just grabbed my heart. The Bible says the, the disciples stared at one another at a loss. The disciples stared at one another with a loss as to which one he was speaking to, which one was meant. That just captures, I think, the very essence. He was investing. Jesus was committing. He was unifying. Were they a unified body? I mean, these were going to be the ones that had to lay the foundation for the New Testament church, the apostolic age. Are they there? No way. Are they getting closer? Absolutely. And Jesus keeps investing in them. Our Lord and Savior, again, just demonstrates his commitment to them, to the Father, to the purpose, to the sacrifice that he was called to make. Commitment. And today, part of what we're going to do is we're going to pull up to the table. And I think as just as God was trying to invest in them, the Holy Spirit's investing in us. He's asking us, are we going to be committed? Are we ready for the task? Are we, are, are, are we ready to invest in others? 
And I think it was out of that commitment that our Lord and Savior laid the groundwork for the cup and the bread. Essentially, when he made that commitment, we know when we make a commitment, it creates hope. But when we keep a commitment, that creates trust. Josh alluded to a few moments ago, I'm sorry, Pastor Josh alluded to a few moments ago. Just in a subtle way, that boy, we've been through some challenging times. These past few weeks have been real challenging on a different level and for a multitude of reasons. And to be honest with you, I I just didn't know between flying to New Mexico and doing different funerals, what was it, 13 we had in, in 22 days? I just told the Lord here a few weeks ago, Lord, (laughs) that's enough. And someone in our fellowship called and said they were having an important test. It was a cancer-related test. And I promised them I would put them on my prayer list, and I did. I'd been praying for them. And the test came back with wonderful news. And so just out of an overflowing of my heart, when I heard about the positivity, not positive cancer, but it's not cancerous, I just text back while driving, confession's good for the soul. Two words, beyond wonderful. Beyond wonderful. About four or five minutes later, my phone went off and this individual texted back. She simply said, in about five or six lines, Pastor, would you mind if I ask, what does it mean when you say, beyond wonderful. And there I sat in my old truck. How do you answer that? When we pull up to a table like this, not in some rote ritual that we do it right, that our deacons are in lockstep, But our focus is not even on the elements. They just help to get us focused on the real significant one that we've come to honor and worship today. What we have the privilege of doing is beyond wonderful. And I would suggest to you, how do you describe that? indescribable, without words, for someone to make a sacrifice to allow you at the end of your earthly life to stand before our Savior and say, completely clean.
saved, eternal, holy. Wow. I don't know, I can't speak for you, nor would you want me to. But I can speak for me. And I just feel today so undeserving. So yes, pretty important time. Several times a year as we set aside sacred time. Not something we just tack on, not something we hand you going out the door, wipe a cup, take a drink, wipe a cup, take a drink. No, 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 no. The center point of our worship. Jesus taking that cup, taking that morsel of bread. My body, guys, about to be broken. It's gonna be grueling. You're going to see me naked, and it's not going to be pretty. I'm going to be beaten and battered. But don't you get dismayed, for I have come here to overcome this world. And guys, this cup, prepare yourself. You will see me shed my own blood for remission of sin. The Father once again has offered up and it will be offering up the perfect gift. The perfect price for all of humanity, past, present, and future. One sacrifice for all. Let's pray together. Lord, we come today and we acknowledge that what we're about to share together is beyond wonderful no way to describe that so father as Paul encourages us to do he challenges us scripturally we need to if we haven't already done so prepare ourselves for this meal for this this experience for this ordinance for this time that we're spending with you, not to focus on what kind of bread or how full is the cup or, or what the element looks like. Father, those things are distractions. These elements are to point our clear, clear focus upon you for what you, the price you've paid. And Father, we celebrate that today. We are so appreciative of the opportunity that we have to take this communion, this Lord's Supper, if you will. Again, knowing that it's a symbolic act that takes us back, it transports us back. Now, thank you today for Luke's remembrance of these, these items on that evening and Mark and Matthew. I thank you for John, even though uh, his looks a little different in some areas. I, I'm, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful that Paul comes along just a few years later and he offers us additional input. And Father, it is with that that we see the accuracy of the scripture. Just as if we each wrote our own account of this service, they would have strong similarities and there would be some differences how we interpret things, how we remember them, how we see them, how we feel about certain things. So Father, as we pull up to the table now, 
I pray that as we prepare our hearts that if there be confessed sin, unconfessed sin, that we would confess that now. Father, if our hearts are not prepared to take, as those elements come by, we just pass the elements on because Paul admonishes us better to not take these elements than to take them unprepared. That is costly. So Father, if there be a broken relationship, if there be strife, Father, I pray that in these moments we would just release those things, hand them over to you, put them at the foot of the cross, just as we sang about in these past few moments, we bring everything, all the baggage today, we bring it to the table, just as Peter did in his arrogance, just as the disciples did in their selfishness of who was the greatest, just as the betrayer thought he would once again pull up to the table and disguise himself as something that he was not. Father, I pray that we would be transparent before you today. There would be a genuine authenticity. And so we just humbly offer ourselves to you. Clean us, cleanse us, prepare us. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask at this time that our deacons come and we're going to prepare these elements. And as our men come and they uh, assemble here to serve these, uh, I want you to be aware that we are knocking off the rust after a year and a half as well. And so as these guys gather today, they, they do so trying to reassemble after the pandemic. I don't know about you, but aren't you thankful we can once again take the Lord's Supper in this way, I'm so thankful. Let's give them a moment to prepare the elements. Man, would you go ahead and disperse the elements at this time? Sam Garrison, would you help us in the balcony and be sure everyone has a cup up there as well? You in the balcony will have both elements in one if you'll just wait for us and allow everyone to get served.
just as Jesus did on that evening. He took a piece of bread and he expressed to those around that table, those that he loved, those that uh, he had invested in, those that had been rope holders for his ministry, those that had let him down. With all of that baggage, he came before them and said, now man, this is representative of my body that's about to be broken. The Bible says that uh, there was a prayer offered and each took a piece to symbolize his body. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we have together as a church family. Father, for those that are guests with us today that are partaking in this time of communion, today we come and under an open umbrella, knowing that in heaven, all believers of different denominations and different churches will join together. And Father, with that in mind, as we partake of this, this very element, representing the life of Jesus, we do so once again, thanking our Savior for the brokenness of his body. In these things we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Deacons, if you'll come now and serve the cup.
And the Bible says that uh, Jesus took that cup and again, just a symbolic picture of what was in the immediate future for our Lord and Savior. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no covering of sin, no remission of sin. And so once again, one that was not guilty, completely sinless, a perfect substitute to cover all the sin of mankind. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that as we take this cup now, we do so understanding that Jesus paid a huge price for us. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Gentlemen, if you'll come and cover the table. In your pew in front of you, there should be a little holder. You can discard your cups there. Someone will come and take care of those later after the service. Aren't you thankful that we can have communion together again in a more normal way? And uh, just thankful for these men that have gathered today in their lives. Let's pray one more time, and then Josh is going to come and lead us in a closing song today. Lord, we're thankful for our church. We're thankful for this fellowship. Father, for those that have come to this place today with broken hearts, some broken in grief, some that may have come to this place broken in their sin. Fathers, we gather as broken people. I'm thankful that our Bible is filled with those moments, moments around a potter's wheel where someone looked out and said, you know, uh, we too are like broken pottery. But our Lord is a master at spinning a new, a whole new vase, a new bowl, a new cup. Our master is able to take those cracks and crevices of sin and life and bring about something completely new. Or someone that, that stood over a, a huge heated apparatus and inside of it was precious metal that were heating and the very gold dross would flow to the top and someone as they skimmed off all the impurities, taught a life lesson. That's what our Savior does. He takes away all the impurities so we stand before him pure and white as snow. Father, we're thankful that our New Testament tells us again that in Christ we are new creations, new creatures, so, Father, we just thank you today for your goodness to us. We're under, we, there's no way we deserve what you've given us. Father, maybe in these next few moments as we exit, we do so with two words. What we've experienced today by lifting our Savior, beyond wonderful. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.